And when you come to the last two pages of a Spurgeon sermon, it will set your hair on fire. Man. He is so evangelistic. Mm. He is so uh, persuasive and, and calling people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I think the greatest sermon that, that he preached, and others would agree with this, is a sermon entitled, Compel Them to Come In. Mm-hmm. There's no introduction. He steps into the pulpit and says, I must be immediately about my father's business. Wow. Oh, I've read this one. And, and he then gives the reasons why you should commit your life to Jesus Christ today, this moment. Wow. Uh, and he goes through like some 10 to 12 reasons why. Everything from the fear of God to the glory of heaven to the torment of hell. Mm. It's the whole package. Another sermon is simply entitled, Now. Mm. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. He was so insistent that people respond to the truth this very second. Mm. He says, my text does not say, go home and pray about it. (laughs) My text says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this moment. And and so he just cuts through all of the procrastination and excuses that people offer as they sit under the truth. Yeah, I'll I'll think about it. And, And so Spurgeon preached with a sense of urgency and fervency. Some people like to listen to soothing music to relax. Others take a walk. Some take a hot bath. I like to watch... Bob Ross video. <laughs> okay, guys, seriously, uh, Mark, you were doing it on one of the podcasts, watching Bob Ross. What is it about Bob Ross? I can watch the guy and just feel so at ease. He had a terrible temper and was very violent. I'll say it. Could you imagine? He yeah, just explodes on people and then comes on, gets it all out. It's a punching bag that comes on. If golf was a painting, right, it would be Bob Ross. It's just, if you want to take it out, we've got to think about that for a minute. If golf was, <laughs> was a, a painting, painting, it would be Bob Ross. Yeah. There's a lot there, right? If you want to take a nap, put on either baseball or golf. Yeah, preach. And uh, <laughs> watching him paint and the way he speaks through his paintings, it's just... Yeah, check him out online on uh, on YouTube. It'll make you go to sleep. It's quite incredible. My kids love him. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's one of those guys... I, do you call him a, a cult hero or something? Or? Well, when you die, you become a cult hero. He died, and so he became he incredibly popular. Yeah, yeah. But years ago. spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember seeing teenagers walking around wearing Bob Ross shirts. And like... Bob Ross hairstyles. <laughs> Have you seen my Bob Ross tattoo? <laughs> my boy was Bob Ross for uh, a, a dress-up. Are you serious? Time. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, but it, there's Afro. there's something endearing about the guy. Yes. Where you just... You can, just you, sort of, can you do a Bob Ross? Yeah, what we're doing here, I know. <laughs> he didn't <laughs> laugh. doing this little painting. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but the difference is that when he does it, it's like so calming. You, you do it, it's like anxiety. <laughs> Anxiety-inducing, <laughs> yeah. no matter how smooth But the, the, the wonderful thing was he's incredibly talented. You cannot believe what you're seeing. So that's the, that's the second part of the equation. Yeah. Also, have you ever watched one of his videos where he's like, it's like the painting is almost complete, and he's like, and then we're going to add, you're like, you're going to ruin it. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and, it, and he says, we're do a splash across here and you think what a mess and suddenly it just comes alive it's quite incredible yeah there's a sermon illustration in there i'm just saying the same thing in my head (laughs) yeah there's something about these guys that have this factor about them like that draws you to them and you can't figure out exactly what it is but you just you love it. I mean, you're just thinking, he's sitting there he's doing a painting what's the big deal but you just want to keep watching and watching he's one of us yeah you know (laughs) he's, he's a stress reliever yeah. Like we are. 
More <laughs> <laughs> stress inducers. Mark, was it on? Were we? Was it actually during a podcast we were recording that you were watching Bob Ross? Yeah, it was two podcasts do, ago. Do, doing doing a doing a Donald Trump. There's a lot of unveils like that with Donald Trump um, with Bob Ross and funny guy. Yeah. Makes me laugh. Yeah, Brian Regan, one of the oh. same. Like Tim Hawkins. Right. <laughs> these great comedians. Uh, you've got, um, but you've got these, these guys that become legends, like Chuck Norris. You know, all the Chuck Norris jokes. Chuck Norris. He was doing push-ups, but in reality, he was just pushing the earth away from him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Went to the it? ocean and the water was afraid to come in. One of my favorite ones is Chuck Norris once nursed a baby goat back to health. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, what's that one? The boogeyman checks his closet for Chuck Norris. <laughs> yeah, but Chuck Norris, he, that guy's still going. Yeah. He does these infomercials now. Does he really? He's fit. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's fit. He's still doing like these moves. And he's, he's in his 80s. He's really wow. fit. Wow. Yeah. Ray, can you... Uh, I still do push-ups. Are you Show still me. doing them? Yeah, 20, I do about 40 a day. How's it going? Horrible. That's it. <laughs> well, I can hear creaking and it's not the floor. How many push-ups can you do in a row? Easy. Right uh, now. All of them? How many? I think my max is about 35. In a row? In a row. I don't get it. Brad Snow dropped. We were at a conference. Brad Snow dropped to the ground and hit like 50. 50. Like it was I, that does not surprise me. Though. Like it He's was nothing. Brad Strong. Seriously. The question was asked, how many push-ups can Chuck Norris do? And it was all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I could probably do about 20. Uh, no. Not if you haven't been doing them. Cut. I doubt it. <laughs> what makes you think I haven't been doing them easy? Physical appearance. Physical appearance. I do 25 well. each morning, and I think this could be the last thing I ever do as I did the 25th. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Uh, I keep my cell phone close. Seriously. You used to keep your cell phone? Close. Cell phone? What do you mean? Cell phone. Close? Close. You said, just in case you die <laughs> while you're... Just I like that even your old man voice sounded a little bit Indian. Thank you. <laughs> okay, I have a question for you guys. A brilliant theological question. Here it comes. Um, the jewelry that Mr. T wore, was it all real or was that fake? It was uh, real fake. Real fake? He could do a lot of push-ups without them on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I always wondered, like, that is so much gold. I can't mm. imagine the weight of that if it was real. Wouldn't be real. It might have been real. You'd get robbed if you had all that on. Hey, Who's I'm going to rob Mr. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> hey, fool. <laughs> yeah. Mr. T, the enigma. All right, Frown. I like that Steve Lawson's going to be like, you started my podcast with Mr. <laughs> T and Bob Ross. <laughs> oh, we better. Yeah. I know. Uh, he'll appreciate it. He's got his good sense of humor. Uh, Tybor A. Toth Jr. It's <laughs> getting worse. <laughs> A podcast about femininity. I really enjoy your podcast and also wanted you to know the official title I give to my housewife. Director of Operations and Recreational Activities. <laughs> I hope you get a kick out of her official title because when I was summoned for jury duty, I was asked what my wife's job was. And when I told them they had no clue, she was a housewife. Matter of fact, I had to enlighten them because they asked what company has a title like that. And then I told them for the layman's, it's housewife. And the whole courtroom roared with laughter. Oh, that's great. wonder how she feels about it, Tybor. <laughs> Let us know how your wife feels. Yeah, thank you, brother. Thanks for uh, your encouragement. Thanks for being nice to your housewife. <laughs> uh, side note, this reminds me, uh, I had probably the highlight 
moment. And this also kind of comes with uh, not so much a confession, but just an, a, an observation, a self-critique, if you will. My favorite conversation that I had at G3 was this young woman, I believe her name was Donna. And if you're listening, I'm getting that wrong. I'm terribly sorry. But she came up and she was really sweet, super thankful for the podcast. And then she's like, can I, and she, she did this in just the gentlest, sweet way. She's like, can I tell you an observation about the one you did on femininity? And I was like, yeah, you know, and she goes, I, you guys talked a lot about women from the perspective of motherhood, mm. but what about women from a perspective of singleness? Right. And I was like, and she almost said, it was like, please don't, I don't want to upset. And I was like, no, that is so good. Mm. Like, I think I said, thank you for bringing that to my attention because you're right. Mm. We, we need to talk about women. And, and basically, here's, here's what I think she clicked in my head. When we talk about women, their, their value and dignity is not caught up in their ability to bear children or serve a husband. Their value and dignity is in being a woman made in God's image, mm. period. Amen. And so being single is not like half womanhood. Right. And on top of that, the other thing that I discussed with her is that it, it's interesting because we talk about you know women often uh, in from the perspective of them becoming wives, but we also have to acknowledge this reality because she was single and she had a single roommate who wasn't there, but they were talking through this, you know. And, no. and I say we need to identify that right now our pulpits are like almost 70-30, 70% single women to 30% single men. In other words, the godly women who are members of a local church serving it and reading their Bibles daily far outnumber the godly qualified men to marry them. Mm. And I think we I think it's just so important that we identify that and bring value and dignity worth that's already there to the single woman. So mm. Donna, if you're listening, thank you so much for approaching me. You you were absolutely right. I hope I hope there was some clarification. Boy, there. you've oh, lifted this intro. Great. I like Bob Ross. <laughs> <laughs> we had to redeem the intro somehow. No, that's good, Oscar. And I think that's something that we do have to constantly be mindful of. Uh, you know, in fact, I was I was talking to my wife. She has a wonderful ministry to women, and we were talking about the importance of remembering that there are women out there that aren't married mm-hmm. or that don't have children. And they're, they're such a, a big part of the body of Christ, and they're extremely valuable, and we need their influence and their impact. Amen. So that's really good. Easy, how often do you buy Rachel flowers? Um, I, I like to do it as often as possible. So never. <laughs> <laughs> such a significant answer. Well, once yeah, every that's 20, very political once every 20 years. No, I'll, I'll do it a few times a year, usually. Yeah. yeah. L- Laura complains that I don't buy her flowers. Yeah. To be honest, I didn't know she sold them. <laughs> I, would, I would have bought her flowers. Oh, boy. I went out on a 106 winning anniversary the other day to, to get a beautiful rose for, for our uh, anniversary dinner, and they're all dead. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yeah. mm. You have roses in your yard, right? Yeah, they're beautiful yeah. normally, but that day they all died on me. By the way, Ray, congrats. 53 years. It was nothing, really. H. Mm-hmm. 106. Yes. Wow. All, all right, friends. All credit goes to Sue. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she, gets, she got two sympathy cards once. Oh. Two different ladies. Hey, listener. Have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? 
Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has a hundred dollars. That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. All right, friends, this podcast is brought to you by Jesus in Red. Glad that was book. a book title. <laughs> <laughs> one of the best, I think, that Ray's produced. Definitely one of the best uh, covers. Don't forget to get that. <laughs> this is a it great looks, cover. It looks good. You've got to get this book because the of the cover. Way, the best way good. to sell a book. Never, <laughs> never one mind. thing Ray had nothing to do with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, never mind the content. All right, friends, and don't forget the Living Waters mug. They have a study Bible. All at livingwaters.com. All right. After this intro, he will never come on our podcast again. <laughs> Please, friends, tune your ears to our good friend, Stephen. Lawson. Well, friends, as you can tell, we are still here at G3. People running around. We've been so blessed to meet so many people here, people coming to the booth. Just talked to a couple of people who came to the Lord through the ministry. And no doubt, a number of you listening have been deeply impacted spiritually through our guest today, Dr. Steve Lawson, who's the founder and president of One Passion Ministries, teaching fellow with Ligonier Ministries, professor of preaching and the Dean of Doctor of Ministry program at the Master Seminary, and a whole bunch of other things. <laughs> Dr. Lawson, it's such an honor for us to have you with us. Thank you for having me. I'm the one who's honored. No, it's a blessing. <laughs> you know, years ago, I listened to a, a presentation you gave on the life of Jonathan Edwards, and I, I can't put into words how so deeply and profoundly impacted I was by that. And the series that, uh, that, that you have been a part of, that Ligonier puts out, uh, a long line of godly men hmm. I know has blessed so many people. And so for us, again, it, it's, a, it's an honor that we were able to snag you here. I know you've been busy at the conference, but what we want to do in our time together is we want to talk to you a little bit about some of these great preachers of old and the impact that they've had. And we can get into whatever aspects you'd like uh, of their lives. As I mentioned to you before we started, we'd like to talk about Jonathan Edwards, uh, George Whitefield Spurgeon. If we have time to get to Martin Lloyd Jones, all in thirty minutes, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but but we'd love we'd love for you to, to to touch on some of their lives. But before that, I, I wanted to ask you to highlight for us the hallmarks of good and effective preaching. What makes a preacher a good preacher, and what makes a sermon a good sermon? Well, that's a great question. Um, a great a great preacher is someone who is saturated with the Word of God. Hmm. Expository preaching is just simply Bible preaching, biblical preaching. God put the power into the Word. And so it is someone who reads the text, explains the text, teaches the theology that's in the text, then applies the text, shows the relevance of the text, Mm. and then calls for uh, a commitment to the text to respond Mm. to what the passage requires. And it's really surprising uh, amazing to me how few men do this. Yeah. Uh, their sermons are just filled with stories and illustrations and cultural comments, um, etc. 
and they have everything but the Bible. Hmm. Wow. And so great preaching is really a proclamation of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, what is preaching? It is theology on fire. Hmm. And so preaching has to have this element of both truth and passion. And so the Puritans put it this way, there has to be a fire in the pulpit. Wow. And a fire gives off light and it gives off heat. And so there has to be the light of truth and the light of sound doctrine. And it must come with the heat of fervency and urgency. And they must be married together. There are a lot of men who have the truth. They have zero passion. They're just lecturers. (laughs) They're they're just talkers. Uh, (laughs) Other men have all the passion, but they're just a lot of hot air. Uh, They have no truth. And so true preaching marries together both the truth and it is to be delivered in a compelling way. Hmm. So that's just a brief, succinct uh, statement or response to what you've said. Uh, A sermon has its own unique form and structure to it. Uh, A sermon is not a blog. Uh, A sermon is not a book review. Uh, A sermon is not a term paper. Uh, A sermon is not a theological article. Uh, A sermon is none of those things. Uh, A sermon has its own unique form and structure to it. I don't know that we have time to walk through it, but everything, it's like a house. There's a front porch, that's the introduction. But a house has rooms inside of it and walls that separate it, and there has to be noticeable divisions in a sermon. Uh, And then a back porch is like the conclusion. And there needs to be some windows, which are like illustrations that let light in. Um, And so I'm trying to give as quick of an answer (laughs) as as I possibly can. But it is so amazing to me, because I am professor of preaching at the Master's Seminary, how few men have really ever sat under Hmm. sound biblical preaching. And so they just imitate whoever they have grown up under or whatever preacher they have heard, but they've never given careful thought as to what actually is a sermon. And then also I would add to that, what what is a sermon intended to do? What's the purpose of a sermon? And it's not just information, it's transformation, Mm. it's regeneration, uh, it's conversion. And so the tip of the spear of of a sermon is to to do something to the listener, to win them to Christ, to move them, compel them Mm. towards Christ. And so all of that is involved in great preaching. Um, All of that is involved in really being a great preacher. You take a very active role, and you're intending to do something with the truth of God to the the listener. So... Mm. Give give me just a couple more sentences. What you want to do is instruct the mind. You want to ignite the heart, Hmm. and you want to invite the will. (laughs) So only a true Bible preacher addresses the whole person of the listener, mind, affections, or heart, and will. Anything less is not biblical preaching. If you only address the mind, you're just a lecturer. Hmm. If you only address the heart... You're just a motivational speaker. If you only address the will, you're a manipulator. And so you've got to address all three areas in a sermon 
uh, of the listener. And it's in that order. Everything begins with the mind. And then the truth in the mind should ignite the heart, Hmm. raise the affections, as Jonathan Edwards put it. And then you must call for the verdict. The will must be challenged to respond to this truth. Wow. So that's just a, a quick oh, summary. So good. Uh, Dr. Lawson, I've, it's, I've, it's good because it's true. Yeah, amen. <laughs> I've, I've read a, a handful of books on preaching. One of the ones you recommended, Johnny Can't Preach, is a great tiny little yeah, book that I recommend is. to everybody. I want you to comment on the danger of biblical preaching. And the re- where I'm going with this is that I, I see, and I know you've talked about this a little bit too, there are some who preach in a way that, that um, caters to the pop culture, and pop culture is going to love them. There are others who preach in a way that can cater to the pews, and everyone's going to agree with them. But I think dangerous preaching is preaching to the heart, which is going to unsettle and unwrestle everyone who listens because the gospel convicts. Is, is, is preaching dangerous? Define dangerous. Well, dangerous because not everyone's going to be happy with you if you do it in a way that glorifies the Lord. Well, yeah, as one man has said, the problem with preaching today is nobody wants to kill them anymore. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. There you go. So in the front of my preaching Bible, I have uh, a a wood carving of the first Marian martyr, uh, Mm. John Rogers, who was burned at the stake February the 4th, 1555, Smithfield, London. Uh, because he wouldn't stop preaching the truth when, when Mary I assumed the throne of, mm. of England. Um, yes, preaching the truth is very dangerous. I mean, mm. I've been run out of a church for preaching the truth. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't think a preacher is worth his salt until he's been run out of a church. Oh, uh, I mean, you, you need to preach with a limp. There you <laughs> go. Uh, so, yes, preaching is very dangerous. You will be either, really both and, you will be the most loved man, and the most hated man yeah. at the uh, same time. Mm. They will name their children after you, and they'll name their dogs after you. <laughs> and, and that's the way truth is, because truth divides. Yeah, uh, Truth does unite those who receive the truth, but it also divides. And it draws a sharp sword, which is what the Word of God is. For the Word yeah. of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Yeah. So it, it really begins to meddle with a person's life and challenge them and even assault the conscience Mm. and assault the will. Mm. So that's what the truth is intended to be and to do. It is provocative. Well, I love what you said about why what you said is is good because it's true. And this excites me because, you know, there are a lot of young people that listen to our podcasts and who aspire to preach God's word. For them to get the, the truths you shared at the outset is so important, rather than having built a lifetime of preaching the wrong way and yeah. then trying to reverse that. Yeah. You know? So this is good. And I know, Mark, uh, your son, Ethan, is a, is just oh. a, has been greatly Listen, impacted by my, Dr. Larson's. Uh, absolutely. And my, my daughter, Ella, we, we love the Bible study. Is. They're obviously very spiritual. Yeah. <laughs> Great discernment. My, yeah. my wife sends me a text in the middle of your message last night, and it just said, this message, all capital letters. <laughs> and then she sent a text. I'm going to read it. Send a text to our whole family. Yeah. And it's just my wife and I that are here. And she said, literally just heard the most amazing message of my life by Lawson. Psalm 93. I'm sure it was recorded. And my son, Ethan, who we were just <laughs> talking about, says, I listened to it live. It was amazing. And then another one said, amazing, all caps. <laughs> That's Now, have you always had this conviction? What you're talking about right now, being a pastor, 
getting your doctorate, have you always had this conviction to teach like this, and have you always done it like this? You know, I have, and it's only by God's grace and really God's sovereign providence in my life that I have sat under and been exposed to the greatest preachers of our day. Mm. Uh, My two pastors in a Baptist church are the two greatest pastors in the last 100 years. I have been influenced by the two greatest Presbyterian ministers of the last 100 years. And easily the greatest independent Bible church preacher of the last 100 years. All of these men have, are like streams feeding into me to make me a river, mm. have had an extraordinary effect on my life. Wow. Uh, I grew up in a, a liberal church, kind of a, a, just a nice social church that didn't preach the gospel. But in my 20s, I finally sat under a man who took a Bible and preached his heart out. Mm. And it was from the text, and I saw what a sermon is. He had a fire in his bones, and it it lit something in me. Mm. And I was literally catapulted to seminary. And then I sat under another man who many would regard as the greatest Baptist preacher uh, of the last century. And I sat under him for five years. Mm. And it just affects me. But then two Presbyterian ministers really elevated my game in many ways with additions that I needed in my preaching. So, yes, from from day one, I started preaching when I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So I've been preaching over 50 years. Wow. It just, I don't know, it's just, it can only be explained by God at work in me. And whether I preach good or not good, well or not well, that's for God to decide. But what I do, there's been a continuity for half a century. Wow. You know, I want us to jump into Jonathan Edwards. Man, I, we should have just done all this on specifically on preaching. I know it's going to tie in. But I wanted to ask you this real quick. You know, uh, Eric Little of Chariots mm-hmm. of Fire fame, mm-hmm. he talked about how when he ran, he felt the pleasure of yeah. God. Do you identify with that? Oh, preaching? absolutely. I've used that quote many oh, times. Really? Okay. Yeah, many yeah. times. Wow. In fact, I've gone to... <laughs> where that movie was filmed there in St. Andrews, Scotland, on yeah. the beach at St. Andrews Golf Course. Yeah, that, that quote resonates with me. Oh. But yeah. to take it a step further, I, I think that strong biblical preaching produces the same effect in young men who are being called to mm. preach, Amen. that they are drawn to this, that like a moth to the flame, yeah. and, and they feel a sense of pleasure mm. as they sit under biblical preaching, mm. and they want to do the same as, as well. Yeah. Now, I'm an obsessive perfectionist, and you're you, very <laughs> encouraging to read that quote from your family. Mm. As soon as I stepped off the, the platform, I was met by two men from Ligonier. behind the curtain as everyone was singing the closing hymn. And I said to them, I would give a thousand worlds if I could re-preach that sermon. (laughs) I'm glad Um, I'm not the only one. It feels that way And I I, I felt discontent. I I felt not a failure, but that I I left so much out that I should have Uh. said. (laughs) And my mind is just replaying this. And as I get back to my hotel room, I I just can't let it go. Yeah. Yeah. And so... I think that's also um, the mark of an effective preacher mm. is that he's very competitive with himself yeah. Yeah. and he's always striving to be better yeah. and to get to the next level. 
of, a, of effectiveness. And so the day you stop trying to become better is really the day you're going backwards. Wow. Mm. You know, I, I call it the anguish of the preacher. Spurgeon, yeah. Yeah. you know, Spurgeon of all people yeah. talked about how he would sit and be in anguish over sermons. And I'm like, Spurgeon, you know? And so I, I think that's that's so good. Dr. Oscar. Lawson, uh, I, I'm, I'm imagining that there may be, you know, the vast majority of churches out there have one guy. Uh, who's preaching. And I'm, I'm imagining the person listening, that one guy right now listening, and he's coming under conviction that maybe he's been preaching in a way that's not most glorifying to the Lord, but maybe he feels stuck because he's the one guy who's mm-hmm. preaching every Sunday. What would you say to that one guy? What's the, what's the next step on someone like and that? Let me, let me add to that. You know, he's bivocational, which most pastors yeah. are, cannot go to the seminary. Yeah. What books? Where do they go? Well, this is going to sound like an infomercial. Do it. Do it. (laughs) I have just started an online preaching academy called the Academy for Expository Preaching. Mm. It's only been going a few months, and I already have over 400 students. Wow. It's being translated into five languages around the world right now. My goal is is to cover the planet with Bible preachers. Amen. And so I give 28 lectures on what is expository preaching, what is it not, what are the marks of expository preaching, how do you put an expository sermon together, and what is the history of expository preaching. And I literally walked through the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. I walked through the prophets, I walked through John the Baptist, the preaching ministry of Christ, the book of Acts, uh, the apostles. Uh, the book of Hebrews, which is one sermon, an evangelistic sermon. I end wow. up in the book of Revelation. Mm. I really think that the quickest crash course that you could possibly have on biblical preaching, expository preaching, is to sign up and be a part of uh, the academy. Okay. There's reading assignments. There are written assignments. And you have to submit a sermon. And we critique that sermon and give you helpful feedback. So this isn't just you're, you're sitting at Starbucks listening right. uh, to some to some lectures that I give. Wow. And so it, in essence, is a condensed version of if you went to the master's seminary and sat in my class because wow. I teach first, second, and third year preaching. Yeah. It's so good. In fact, you'll get full credit. At, at, at various seminaries, mm-hmm. uh, so you can enter their program so how already. Can, how can people hear about it? Yeah, uh, connect you, with it. Well, you go to onepassion.org, okay, good. and you can find it there. It also has its own website. I don't even know the name <laughs> of the website. That's funny. I'm so non-technical. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but one passion, O-N-E passion.org. Okay. Great. And I, I want God to raise up an army of Bible preachers. I've just come back from Australia, hmm. from England, from Ireland, from Northern Ireland, meeting with pastors about this. I'm getting ready to go to Poland. I'm going to Canada. Wow. Uh, I'm going to as many places as I can to get men under sound teaching about biblical preaching. You can go buy commentaries, yeah. and you can buy the interpretation. You can go buy language tools. What you cannot buy is how to preach. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that this is really the missing link in, okay. in many ways. Right. Well, make sure to check it out, friends, for sure. 
Uh, you know, and we've been encouraged. We, we were just in uh, doing some Latin America travel mm-hmm. and preaching there in churches, and we were hearing that there's been a revival going mm-hmm. on of expository preaching. Yes. Uh, we were at one of the churches in uh, the Dominican Republic, mm-hmm. uh, Brother Sohel Michelin, and he is yeah. just excellent. He's, I've, I've, I've done a conference in his church oh, yeah. on biblical preaching. Yeah, we preached there. And it, just to see the, that, that fire spreading is encouraging in line with what you said. All right, Jonathan Edwards. Yeah. <laughs> we got to jump in. So, uh, again, a uh, long line of godly men. The book you wrote is called The Unwavering Resolve of Jonathan Edwards. So, in, in a few minutes, hit Jonathan <laughs> What a task. Wow, huh? that's like climbing Mount Everest. <laughs> in five that, minutes, right? In, in three minutes. Well, Jonathan Edwards is arguably the greatest preacher ever born on American soil. Mm-hmm. He is arguably the greatest intellect and the greatest author ever born on American soil. And interestingly enough, in one week, uh, I will be where he died uh-huh. and bringing people and talking about lecturing on Jonathan Edwards. In fact, I'll be taking people to the first public sermon he ever gave outside of Northampton uh-huh. and became the first piece ever put into print that he ever had his name on published. Uh-huh. Jonathan Edwards is, we call him a a Puritan, but he really wasn't a Puritan because a Puritan, you had to start out in the Church of England. He was a Congregationalist, but he preached in Puritan fashion, and he was steeped in sound doctrine. Mm -hmm. He was steeped in Reformed theology, so he had a towering high view of of God, And, and so that really pulls your preaching forward to a higher level. He always had a text in front of him, and as he preached, he had basically three main divisions. The first would be he would explain the text. What does the text say? Then the second main heading, he pulls the doctrine, the theology that is in this text of Scripture, and he is, as Lloyd-Jones said, he is theology on fire. But Jonathan Edwards became Jonathan Edwards in that third heading. It was what he called the uses, which is the application. And it was more than just suggestions. He was extraordinarily persuasive Mm -hmm. and compelling Mm -hmm. when he comes to the application of the passage. And one Edwardian scholar has put it this way, that in the first two headings, Edwards is simply putting the ammunition into his cannon. (laughs) It's with the third heading that he fired his cannon. And it made me think how many even Bible preachers spend their whole sermon simply putting ammunition into the cannon. Hmm. This is what the text says. This is what the theology is. But they never connect it to the listener and challenge the listener. They never fire their cannon and they just walk off the platform having never really let loose the truth upon the life of the listener. So that summarizes uh, Jonathan Edwards. Yeah. And he, I mean, there's so much to say. I I mean, you're killing me. You are totally killing me. This is torment. Yeah, it is. Uh, So what what more specifically can I say about Jonathan Edwards? I mean, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Yes. That sermon. I'm taking people to the exact spot where he preached that in one week. I would love to go there. Uh, But but that, that sermon, it's been said, 
was not preached with, with this great, you know, fervor. They said he, he stared at a bell rope in the back of the church and basically That's an read, old wives' tale. Is that fake? That well, is, good, that is not true. That, that is not then. true. And okay. I, I need another podcast <laughs> to walk you through the three reasons why that is not true. Yeah. I'll, I'll just give you one. Yeah. He preached that in 1741. The year before, in the fall, is the only time George Whitfield ever met Jonathan Edwards. Edwards invited Whitfield to come to Northampton. He came for a weekend. He preached five times. Hmm. On the front row, Edwards wept like a baby as he sat, and sat under powerful, strong, compelling preaching. Wow. And it had a tremendous effect on Jonathan Edwards. Hmm. I don't think he would have preached that sermon earlier in his life. There was a definite shift in Edwards' preaching to intentionally become, and I'm going to use this word in the positive way, not the negative way, but to be more revivalistic. Yeah. To be what he would, what he would in his own words, said, to raise the affections mm. of the listener. Wow. He said, I believe it is my duty to raise the affections of my listener in direct proportion to the truth that is being presented. Wow. So he was after his listeners. And, and so Jonathan Edwards, we, we know his thoughts about preaching. He never wrote anything about preaching per se, but he had young men live with him who were called into the ministry, and he would preach their ordination sermons. David Brainerd died in his home, right. all but in his arms when he died, right. and preached his funeral. Yeah. When we put together everything that Edward said about preaching in those ordination sermons and in Brainerd's funeral, we, we see that, that he is an aggressive preacher yeah. who is after the emotions and the heart of the listener as well as their mind and will. Yeah. So I really think that that's an old wives' tale yeah. that has been repeated down through the years, and we just need to strain that pulp out of the, <laughs> well, I'm, the I'm orange juice. I'm glad to hear that because I, it was hard to imagine such a powerful sermon being preached in the way that you know it's been said. Yeah. All right. We, we we're gonna we have time to hit one more. Okay. S let's just hit Spurgeon, who's okay. my personal favorite. Okay. The Prince of Preachers. In yeah. thirty seconds. In thirty <laughs> seconds. <laughs> 20, yeah. Twenty seconds. Well, it's putting your arms around the ocean. Uh, <laughs> Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I think is arguably the greatest preacher of any language since the Apostle Paul. Whoa. He is the greatest evangelistic pastor in mm. one pulpit week after week after week, I think, that the world has, has ever seen. Yeah. To understand the preaching of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, you have to understand the preaching of George Whitfield. Yeah. Because Spurgeon, though he lived in a different era than Whitfield, he said, I have only had one mentor in my preaching ministry other than my master himself, mm -hmm. and it is George Whitfield. Wow. And I must follow his footsteps with undaunting faithfulness. Wow. <laughs> so to understand Spurgeon, you have to go back to who influenced yeah. Spurgeon. Right. And that is the grand itinerant, the great evangelist, George Whitfield. Wow. So... Spurgeon always had a text. He was a biblical preacher. I, I believe he was an expositor. He just wasn't going sequentially through books in the Bible. Right. But as he preached, he was preaching sound doctrine, theology, opening up that text. He was compelling. And when you come to the last two pages of a Spurgeon sermon, it will set your hair on fire. Oh, he is so evangelistic. Mm. He is so 
uh, persuasive and, and calling people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I think the greatest sermon that, that he preached, and others would agree with this, is a sermon entitled, Compel Them to Come In. Mm-hmm. There's no introduction. He steps into the pulpit and says, I must be immediately about my father's business. Oh, I've read this one. <laughs> and, and he then gives the reasons why you should commit your life to Jesus Christ mm-hmm. today, this moment. Wow. Uh, and, and he goes through like some 10 to 12 reasons why. Everything from the fear of God to the glory of heaven to the torment of hell. Mm. It's the whole package. Another sermon is simply entitled, Now. Mm. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. And he was so insistent that people respond to the truth this very second. Mm. He says, my text does not say, go home and pray about it. My text says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this moment. And and so he just cuts through all of the procrastination and excuses that people offer as they sit under the truth. Yeah, I'll I'll think about it. And, And so Spurgeon preached with a sense of urgency and fervency and authority. Mm. And so that, that's a strong package to be put together in one person. Plus, he was a, a, a genius. Yeah. And it was the height of the Victorian era when there were great writers and great speakers. And so he's drawing from even the communication through the English language <laughs> of that day. I mean, we live in just an illiterate yeah. day of tweets. Right. He lived in a day in which the English language was at the highest level. And so he's drawing from this, and he's drawing from the Puritans also. And so you put all this together with a a clear understanding of the gospel. He's just a volcano exploding and and erupting as he steps into the pulpit. And he never had a formal seminary no. education. No. Which huh. is mind blowing. He took an online class <laughs> from Dr. Lawson. Lawson. That That's would have was. really taken him to the next level. I want to. I want to tell you. Listen, speaking of evangelism and preaching, let me let me offer a compliment here, Dr. Lawson, which is that a year or two ago, Trinity Bible Church, yeah. your church in Dallas, uh-huh. invited me out uh-huh. uh, to give a lecture and a presentation of the gospel at uh-huh. uh, SMU, a local college yeah, over there. Yeah, yeah. It was an incredible experience. A, a hand. You know, a couple hundred non-believing students came yeah. and listened, and I was so impressed by the young men and women at your mm-hmm. church that were so evangelistic, yeah. so on fire to proclaim the gospel. So you must be doing something right in your preaching. Well, in in the pulpit, you are modeling for people several things. You are modeling for them how to study the Bible mm-hmm. by the way you handle the Bible. Right. But you are also modeling for them how to present the gospel. And in every sermon at Trinity, That's good. That's good. Uh, I present the gospel, but I do more than present it. It's not enough to cast the net. You have to draw the net. Mm-hmm. And, and I call people to commit their life to Christ. Mm-hmm. So these young people, I know exactly what you're talking about. Some of them are at this conference. They are listening. They are learning, but they are doing it yeah. in yeah. their own lives. And they go out uh, witnessing. And, and so you've got to know the gospel. Inside yep. out. Amen. You've got to have it memorized and verses memorized. No. But you've also got to know how to call for the verdict yep. and how to bring a person to a point of the intersection. Which way will you go? Yeah. yeah. And to compel them and persuade them 
to commit their life to Christ. Amen. So I love it. Well, Dr. Lawson, this has been painful for us. <laughs> Wait, uh, seriously, I'm about to go. I have to go on stage in a minute. That's why yeah. we got to cut it short. But yeah. this has been phenomenal beyond description. And, and I want to <laughs> beg you when you're in the LA area to please come into Living Waters so we could do more podcasts with you. So are you in the Pacific Ocean with Living Waters? I mean, I, <laughs> pretty much. We're not far from, you know, Grace Community Church and the seminary, but we would yeah. love to have you. Well, you've you. been very kind to reach out to me before. When I get to LA... It's like a marathon race yeah. where my tongue is hanging out. <laughs> totally. So I'm not just sitting around yeah. uh, looking for something to do, right. but... You know, well, I, would, I, w- I would love that yeah. if, if I could do that. We would love it. I know our, our, our listeners would love it. But thank you for coming on. Again, we, I didn't mention it, but the book connected to what he talked about regarding Spurgeon is the gospel focus of Charles Spurgeon. And again, a long line of godly men. So, yeah, as R.C. Sproul would say about his books, uh, you don't have to read my book, just buy it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and tell us one more time how people can connect with your ministry. Yeah, onepassion.org. It's very simple. Okay. You spell out one. OnePassion.org. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lawson. This has been just absolutely (laughs) phenomenal. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to connect with you again. I would look forward to that. All right. God bless. Well, it Mm. is true. Yes, that was one of the most painful things I ever had to do. Uh, We could have gone gone for hours with Dr. Steve Lawson. Mm. Uh, One of the, the, I think, most impactful preachers in the church today. Seriously, Mark, we could have gone on and on. I do. I just, it's like you want to ask a question and then just sit on your hands, zip your lips shut, and just listen. I teared up, you know, listening wow. to him speak on the importance of expository preaching and what that does to the local church. Yeah, the passion with which he does it. And Oscar, we didn't even get to Whitfield. I know. No, and, I, I mean, he referenced him a was little he bit there? while he was talking about Edwards. <laughs> uh, Jacob uh, Whitfield is oh. someone completely different. Yeah, um, but he referenced him when he was talking about Spurgeon, I mean, but that was good stuff. (laughs) Yeah, what I love about uh, Dr. Lawson is that he does such a good job of reminding us that these these men who have come before us are our forefathers, right? We carry that mental. That is a part of our legacy, and I think we should know about them. Mm -hmm. Amen. Right? I was just saying we had four fathers. That's unusual. <laughs> four. How many fathers did you have? Father? Zero. Oscar? Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> Too soon, Ray. Uh. <laughs> All right, friends. There you have it. Don't forget Jesus in Red, Living Waters Mug, the Evidence Study Bible, all at livingwaters.com. Give us your comments, your thoughts, your suggestions at podcast at livingwaters.com. Keep giving us those ratings and comments wherever you listen. And don't forget to join us again. Did you yawn, Ray? <laughs> oh, it was an, what's called an excitement yawn. Oh, that's what yes. it was, that we're finished. All right, friends, thank you for joining us. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters Podcast. The ultimate cure for insomnia. It <laughs> gets better and better. chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline. 
California, Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina, Andrea from Anderson, Indiana, Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania, Lowell from Yakima, Washington, Don from Charleston, Illinois, John from Ford, Australia, good on you, Mike, and Dave from Willen Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.